You are listening to Startups for Good, where we explore high growth and high values ventures. I am your host, Miles Lasseter, three-time founder turned investor. Join us to hear stories of entrepreneurs. Join us to be inspired to be a founder or to work for a startup. Join us to be part of a community that believes startups can be a force for good. Welcome to Startups for Good. I'm your host, Miles Lassiter. On today's show, I interview Faye Gross, who is co-founder and head of product at CityBlock Health. CityBlock is a new kind of healthcare provider and technology company. Started in the fall of 2017, they've grown to over 600 employees, serving something like 60,000 members across the Northeast. Their focus is on medically complex and socially underserved Medicaid populations, and their doctors and nurses deliver home-based intensive primary care with integrated behavioral health, substance abuse counseling, and social benefits coordination. That could be housing support, legal support, et cetera. They've raised over 500 million in venture capital. They're hiring across the board. I think he mentions they will be doubling their tech team, hiring another 300 people across the organization. Prior to CityBlock, Bay was a product manager at Google working out of the Zurich and Bangalore offices and later part of the venture investment team at Thrive Capital, where he focused on the categories of developer tooling and consumer. Bay received his undergraduate degree in computer science from Yale University. I met him as an undergrad when he was teaching an extracurricular class in software development. So this was people getting together outside of normal classes that you would get grade or credit for, and they were learning how to code just for fun or for personal reasons. So it's so exciting to follow up with him and hear about where he is today. We discussed CityBlock's model of preventive and social determinants of health, founding story of CityBlock and spinning out the sidewalk labs, the pursuit of scale to achieve the missions, really inspiring when he talks about that, how to bring the best of Silicon Valley and tech into healthcare without bringing the worst of it along, and how to run a product org in a healthcare organization. I think you'll enjoy this, so stay tuned. Hey, so you work at a technology and healthcare company. Is technology better with more technology? Uh, is the healthcare better? Or are we just doing it to save money? Love that. Yeah, super uh, interesting question. Um, we think about technology and healthcare very much hand in hand um, at CityBlock. And I, I think there's a lot of different ways, different companies are approaching this. There are a lot of very interesting organizations right now in the healthcare industry that are focused on using technology to, I would say, like massively scale healthcare delivery such that the human becomes sort of abstracted away, right? And so you can think about this in terms of like the Romans and the hymns and some of these, some of these companies where you sort of like sign up and you fill out a form and you have this like super streamlined consumer experience where you never even like meet a doctor face to face and you get well taken care of. And I think those, those organizations are doing a lot of good um, for a particular class of, of problem and a particular uh, type of individual. At CityBlock, we're much, much more interested in bringing the human relationship and technology together in tandem. And that's because the populations we serve and the kind of conditions we treat are so complex as to be like, you know, it's, it's laughable to consider that like technology alone could be the solution here, right? It's really about human relationships, you know, trained clinicians, trained social workers working in person with empathy over many, many months uh, to turn lives around. And, and what we think of with technology is using technology to augment, to uh, speed up 
right, to enforce, right, and to empower them, uh, but they really go hand in hand. And so I think that healthcare is, you know, in, in 2021 is much, much better off because of technology, but I'm certainly not waiting for like our, our robot overlords to do all the prescriptions on their own. So tell us more about CityBlock. You're visiting people in their home who have multiple chronic conditions. Yeah, so so CityBlock is a, a technology and healthcare services startup based out of Brooklyn. We're about four years old. And on the healthcare services side, you can think about us as sort of like a very modern primary care group almost, okay? And so what we do is we provide primary care-like services to individuals. And then on the technology side, we're building software and decision support and data to make those healthcare operations more effective and more scalable. Now, the type of healthcare we do is very special. And that's, I think, where we've gotten a bit of a, of a, of a brand and, and, and where we tend to be a little more singular. The type of healthcare we deliver is for um, what we consider very medically complex and very socially vulnerable populations. And so we tend to focus on individuals that have many, many chronic conditions at the same time. So it's not just that they have chronic heart failure, it's that they have chronic heart failure and arthritis right, and a history of depression. And then there's the social vulnerability angle as well. We're looking for individuals that live alone, that are housing unstable, that are uh, food unstable. And what we're interested in is in making sure that we can treat them as a, as a whole person. And we have a whole business model built around this idea that if you actually take these individuals that are high medical complexity and high social complexity, and you treat them in a different way, that you can not only provide a much better member experience and a much better healthcare outcome, but actually make a business on top of it as well. And so we have all sorts of different operations. We have doctors and nurses and pharmacists and, and, and social workers, and uh, they're uh, going around and going into people's homes and, and delivering their care. So how do you make a business out of this? It sounds like a very complicated population to serve. Yeah. So if you take a step back, there's a sort of there's a sort of almost like political statement here, right? Which is that in the United States, relative to other developed countries, we do not spend a lot of money on what you might consider social services, right? Things on housing, food supports, right? Uh, uh, family counseling, um, aging in place. And, and rightly or wrongly, that's just the current political environment, right? We have SNAP, we have, we have um, a certain degree of housing vouchers, but, but by and large, we are relatively small amount of spending on social services relative to a lot of our developed peers. That said, on the healthcare side, we will treat anybody, thankfully, we will treat anybody that kind of crashes into the ER, right? And so if you crash into the ER and you have a bunch of medical complexity in your life, we will treat for you and make sure that you uh, get out of the ER right, and, 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 and treat whatever crises you are currently in. And what's interesting about that is that the medical spending at point of crisis is extremely high. You know, we're talking $10,000, $20,000 hospitalization visits and ER visits that in theory might have been avoidable if you had spent a little bit more money on things like housing and food and legal support and counseling and behavioral therapy upstream. And so there's almost like the societal arbitrage that CityBlock is doing where we say, look, there's a lot of money being spent downstream on healthcare that's probably avoidable. There's not enough money being spent upstream on preventative services, mental health, social care. And so what we're going to do is we're going to short circuit that opportunity. And so we partner with the government directly. We identify populations that are already high cost or trending towards high cost for reasons that we think would be mitigated if they had more holistic care. And then we almost act like an insurance company. We basically get that money up front. We get this sort of spend trend 
that we anticipate for that population upfront. And we're free to spend it now on ways that we think might be more uh, productive. And so we go spend it on social workers in the home and better medications and you know 24 seven access to our call center and therapy. And what we find is that although we spend a lot of money that, and we provide a lot of services that otherwise these populations would not be receiving, we end up driving down the hospitalizations over the next months and years so much that it more than pays for the model. And that's how it sort of makes this interesting business case where the patient gets a far better experience, a more human and humane experience. Uh, the state saves a dramatic amount of money on, on vulnerable populations that they're investing against. And CityBlock makes a sort of growth business out of it. So it's, it's a really neat alignment of incentives. I think it is really surprising when you first learn about this, that by taking on risk and res more responsibility for the patient, you free up dollars to go from, as you said, the emergency department to more preventive care, which in some sense you'd think the government would want to do, but is constrained by these political considerations. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, um, you know, there's an interesting play between policy and industry here, right? Where at the end of the day, government and policy is where the incentive structure comes from and where the funding comes from, right? And so none of this would be possible without policy leadership, right? An interesting incentive design to allow companies like CityBlock to operate. And at the same time, government healthcare delivery and, and government fee-for-service medicine is not necessarily the environment where you're going to have the most innovation happening, right? For all sorts of regulatory reasons and entrenched interests and just like historical incumbency and inertia. And so what's neat about CityBlock is we sort of sit at that intersection of being government supported in terms of our incentive structure and our, and our funding so that we can work on important social problems that the government has carved aside money for, but being independent as a private company to choose how and uh, where we engage, right? And that can be a, a sort of tricky, a politically tricky situation. And so the way CityBlock handles it is by you know, putting our money where our mouth is and saying, we take full responsibility for the outcomes of these individuals, right? If we fail, if we fail to turn their lives around and get them into a healthier and more stable position, then we will pay for that, right? We will take on their medical risk. But if we do, succeed. And if we do provide better outcomes and save money, then allow us to keep some percentage of that money so that we can continue to invest in these novel services, right? And traditionally, you can't bill for things like a social worker to come into your house and spend four hours with you. You can't bill for things like support on grocery shopping or a ride to and from your primary care appointment in a lift van. But we can, right? CityBlock has the flexibility in our spending structures to do that. And so that's where you sort of see this really interesting balance of kind of like government provided incentives with commercially provided like in innovation and operating structure. So where does the technology come in? What's the value add there? Yeah. So I see technology helping out across a couple of different angles. As I said, we're sort of a health services organization and a technology service, sorry, a technology platform and a health services organization. And so the health services is pretty clear cut, right? We're four years old. We've got 600 going on 700 employees, and that spans doctors, nurse practitioners, uh, registered nurses, pharmacists, geriatricians, social workers, therapists, psychiatrists, health coaches, and, and a really interesting mix of folks who are both kind of, yes, clinically credentialed in their own way, but also from the communities we serve, from the same zip codes and the same demographics who carry a lot of cultural credibility and help us kind of bridge into these communities. And so that's the health services side. And so what's the technology platform side? Well, the technology platform side is basically built around this insight that like this is a very very complicated model to deliver. If this is a trivial model to deliver, it would have existed decades ago, but it hasn't, right? And there's lots of reasons why. One reason why is that engagement is super hard. When we 
take on a panel of, of five or 6,000 individuals uh, to serve, we often don't even have a stable housing address or phone number for upwards of 30 to 40% of them. So how do you even go find these folks, right, and track them down and build a relationship with them, particularly not just that they're physically transient at times, but also that they have a low, for good reason, they have a low baseline trust for like healthcare institutions, because they've been kind of betrayed and, 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 and fallen through the cracks so many times. And so you need to kind of be very, very savvy and very novel about how you run almost what looks like a direct-to-consumer engagement channel effectively at tracking these, uh, tracking these members down, bringing them into the folds and wrapping your arms around them. So that's one piece of the technology puzzle is really good direct-to-consumer engagement that takes advantages of all the kind of modern media and cross-channel uh, acquisition strategies. The second place that we see technology really helping out is in team coordination. So it is not typical to have a doctor and a nurse and a pharmacist and a social worker and a therapist all working together as a team. That's not a typical thing you see in the industry. Usually they all work in their own offices with their own employers, with their own revenue, and they email or fax back and forth right, with a certain arm's length disconnection. Right? And what we do is we put them on the same team. They literally sit together, right? they, they meet together every morning, they have little stand-ups, they look at their dashboards together, and we ask them to act in a deeply collaborative way. And culturally, that's very easy to achieve. But from an actual operations perspective, that's hard to achieve because the social worker is using their tool, the doctor is using the EHR, right? The nurse is in this pop health tool. And so much of the technology we've been building is around collaborative workflow, right? And it's about taking individuals that are trained and used to working in silos and actually putting them all physically on the same page, um, almost like a kind of collaborative Google Docs or Slack or uh, uh, Figma or any of these kind of like modern uh, collaborative tools environment, right? And then the final place you really see technology playing out is on, is on data and decision support. You know, we deal with tens of thousands of members with lots and lots of complexities, medical complexities, behavioral health complexities, trauma, uh, housing instability, food instability, right? And they're scattered across, you know, five different states in, in New England and growing. And as, as extensive as our staff base is, you know, we're not everywhere and we can't be everywhere at once. And so we have to be very, very good at predicting where the needs are across our population at any given time, and then deploying our services in a sort of well-modulated manner. And so you see a lot of investment in the data when it comes to understanding the ground truth and making the right decisions and decision support to guide our staff in the moment. So those, those kind of three areas, the, the member engagement, the, the collaborative workflow, and then the decision support, the really informed decision support, that's where I see the technology opportunity unlocking for us. And does that mean you have to hire medical professionals who are more comfortable with using technology? That's a great question. They don't have to be more comfortable with using technology because we can teach them that. They have to be more comfortable with being in a dynamic and sort of cross-functional environment. And that goes both ways, right? For the technologists as well. I think that you know, we cannot hire technologists who are used to only working with designers and engineers and being the hot shots at their company and, you know, and ignoring operations, ignoring marketing, ignoring sales, and just sort of existing in their, in their uh, tech utopia, like they're not going to succeed at CityBlock because, you know, you don't just work with designers and engineers. You work with 
clinicians and social workers, right? And operators and healthcare executives and folks that have spent their entire life on Oracle and EHRs. And they're your partners and you have to work with them and earn their credibility and earn their trust and learn from them. But on the flip side with clinicians, you can't hire the doctors that are used to being kind of at the center of the Victorian model where the nurses work for them and the medical assistants work for the nurses and the front desk staff works to support the medical assistants and the doctor makes the final call and everything. Like that's also not gonna work because our tech team is not an IT cost center. It's an R&D development center, right? And it's a big part of our strategy and they have a lot of independence. And so most important to us is getting clinicians and technologists who are culturally excited about being at a more hybrid organization where neither function has kind of complete control of the driver's seat. And then once we have that cultural alignment, we can teach them everything else, right? And we can indoctrinate them in the, in the, in the relative cultures and, 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 and build, uh, build the kind of environment and the knowledge we're looking for, but you have to hire for those values. Gotcha. So you've got collaboration, you've got data, you've got a financial structure that incentivizes you to spend now, prevent costs later, and also to spend on different types of things. What kind of outcomes are you seeing? Yeah, so in general, what we are focusing on is a reduction in emergency department utilization and a, re a reduction in inpatient, so basically hospital stays. Now, for the individuals we serve, you know, they might, they might be upwards of 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year of medical spending. So there's a lot of complexity in this system. We're talking about nursing home stays. We're talking about home-based care. We're talking about, you know, 12 to 14 prescriptions a year in pharmacy spending. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And you're going to see all those kind of economics shifting around in different ways when city block gets involved. But if you really want to think about the most simple, the most simple kind of value proposition, it's city block comes in and it gets individuals down upwards of 40% in terms of the ED department usage and hospital usage that they would have been up to otherwise. And so that's our target. We want to, we want to take over a population and over the next two years, drive down emergency department and, and hospital stays by 40% across that population. And we have a lot of reason to believe that's achievable based on past performance of comparable organizations and, and our own leadership and staff experience. And today, you know, our, our oldest cohorts are about two and a half years old, right? And uh, we're seeing upwards of 25, 30% reduction. So we're feeling really good about the progress we've made so far. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, there's a lot of reasons I think City Block has been a rewarding place to work, but at the end of the day, getting to work on tech technically interesting problems, right? Tech problems that are like warrant true engineering teams and modern technology practices and getting to work in that kind of environment on an, on an organization and on a mission that has like such saliency in 2021, right? You know, healthcare justice in America, it doesn't, it doesn't get more real and timely for our generation than healthcare justice today. I think, I think it's just very rewarding. And I think we're very lucky to get to kind of work at the intersection of those two problem spaces. So tell me more about what that mission means to you and your team. Yeah. So maybe I'll share a bit about kind of the founding story. And so three, three kind of co-founders at CityBlock with me. And so I came to City Block with the kind of tech and business hat, right? So I'd, I'd spent my, you know, you and I met years ago when I was an undergrad and I was kind of a computer science major and in, in the engineering scene and have always kept that side of my identity and really enjoy uh, the pure tech uh, aspects of, of computer science, but had spent a couple of years of my early career focused on product management, venture capital, on basically building and scaling businesses that are enabled by technology. And so that was what I knew. And I didn't have a lot of experience in healthcare. But I had a lot of interest in taking the kind of little that I'd learned early in my career and applying it towards more 
what I might consider like full stack social problems, right? So problems that weren't just about food delivery or e-commerce and we're, we're, you know, looking at things like housing inequity or healthcare inequity, right? Novel medicines and therapeutics, right? There's all sorts of like interesting social driven innovation going on today. And I wanted to get involved in one of those sectors. And I encountered and kind of met up with uh, these two individuals who became my co-founders who were uh, kind of complete opposites in terms of background, right? But in so many ways, uh, we became best friends, right? So they came from the healthcare and complex care delivery space. They'd spent their careers serving underserved, complex, vulnerable populations. And they'd worked in government on the policy side. They'd worked on insurance on the, on the kind of incentive structure and financial side. And they'd worked in care delivery on the provider side. And they increasingly knew better than just about anybody in the country what it means to take on very, very vulnerable populations and give them the kind of dignity of modern healthcare, right? And really kind of uh, give them a much better and more holistic kind of service that they deserve, right? But what they didn't have a lot of experience with in this model was operationalizing true scale, right? They didn't have experience working with in-house engineering teams. They didn't have experience working with private equity and venture capital, you know, or hiring sort of like growth operators and, and classic consumer leaders. And so that's how we came together. And we said, look, let's take the incredible experience that you have in delivering care to these populations and let's package it up with the best, not the worst, but the best of like the Silicon Valley, you know, exposure, right? Let's get you funding. Let's get you technology partnership. Let's get you really good growth operations. And let's see where we can take this together. And it's just been an awesome partnership for that reason. I think the, the, the reason so many of us are excited to be at CityBlock is because we are working on a mission that is about bringing restorative healthcare justice to underserved populations, but in doing it at a way that has like true commercial scale potential, right? If we, if we do this well, we will be serving you know, millions and millions of members over the next few years. And that's a very exciting challenge that kind of gets all the benefits and all the kind of like day-to-day -day social grounding of working in policy or working in nonprofit, but pairs it with, I think, the momentum and the excitement of being at the forefront of a startup build, you know, much, much like what you kind of focus on in this podcast. Yeah, sounds really exciting. It's uh, very much uh, in line with the podcast, as you say. Don't just listen, get engaged. I host a giving circle to support startup tech nonprofits. What's a startup tech nonprofit, you ask? A startup is an organization seeking to grow that is new. Tech, meaning using software to scale with lower to zero marginal costs. And nonprofit, meaning organized as a public charity. So support innovation by seeding nonprofits leveraging technology to scale. Go to startupsforgood.com and click on Giving Circle. You were telling the story of how you started the company with your co-founders. Can you add in uh, the part about how this was done under the umbrella of Sidewalk Labs? Yeah, yeah, happy to share a little bit about that. So um, Sidewalk Labs is a super interesting company that has bounced in and out of the news um, over the last five years. And so Sidewalk Labs is basically an alphabet company. And so back in, I don't know, this must have been 2017 or 2016, Larry and Sergey, who were the, the co-founders and leaders of, of Google at the time, announced that they were creating a new superstructure called Alphabet. And Alphabet was basically going to be in a sort of parent company that would own a lot of other companies and be funded by Google. And, and the kind of reading between the lines here, the point of this was to give 
uh, Larry and Sergey and kind of the Alphabet family, the flexibility to increasingly invest in like really interesting and novel ideas without distracting the core operation that was Google. Right. That was the, you know, that was the classic kind of cash cow and, and core technology operation. And so under the fold of Alphabet, you had things like Verily, their research and health sciences division, Calico, their uh, life expanding division. You had the self-driving cars group. You had Google Fiber and the, the organization that was working on drone-based internet delivery and um, all sorts of interesting like new bets is what they called them. And Sidewalk became one of those new bets. And so Sidewalk was a New York-based organization fully funded by Alphabet that was looking into novel ways to apply technology in urban environments to improve city living, okay? So it had a sort of broad and ambitious mandate. And again, it was fully funded by Google for the most part, or by Alphabet. And they were trying to identify a bunch of different efforts that would improve city life. And so we had an effort that was working on uh, novel construction techniques and other ways to build like lighter weight faster, more modular buildings that are environmentally friendly. And we had an effort working on uh, public safety and policing and other ways to like take the best of modern policing and, and, and yet introduce more of an accountability structure and automatic body cams and all sorts of, you know, these are very, very complex issues, but you get the idea of the flavor of, of, of that, that line of inquiry. We had a group that was working on actual real estate production, right? And this is where we ended up making a very big investment was what would it be like if, if Sidewalk actually partnered with a, with a novel city, with an with a innovative city like a, like a Detroit or a Toronto or um, uh, an, Ontario, uh, an Ontario or an Oakland and, and actually worked to sort of build out the infrastructure of that city from scratch, you know, so you have all new fiber, all, all, all new kind of uh, uh, intersections that are optimized for self-driving cars and drone-based delivery in all the buildings. And um, there are lots of like really ambitious ideas that all kind of swirled around this space of modern urban living and technology-enabled uh, quality of life improvements. And so CityBlock uh, began within that portfolio and within that mandate, right? We were, we were pursuing a lot of different ideas in parallel. And the idea that, that uh, I was asked to look into was this question of healthcare and how can we improve healthcare outcomes and healthcare inequities for our most complex and underserved populations that are, that are uh, city-based and how can we use technology to make that happen? And so, you know, we were we were very naive, but we were we were curious, and and we had the opportunity to talk to a lot of smart people and ask a lot of a lot of interesting questions. And along the way, sort of built up the the outlines of what would become CityBlock. And and certainly, when my when my two co-founders joined, and they kind of injected in the gasoline of credibility and experience that we needed, and we've been off to the races since then. And is there any tie back to Sidewalk anymore? So Alphabet uh, proper and Sidewalk remain uh, close partners. Um, you know, they're on our board. They are capital partners uh, who have invested a lot of money in CityBlock, but we're an independent, we're an independent entity. And so um, at this point, you know, they, they are, uh, yeah, they're basically a highly valued limited partner investor in CityBlock. We do preserve some of our original culture, I think, from Google. There's a lot of things that we've uh, been able to build out in terms of how we work, the tools we use, the collaboration structures and kind of asynchronous styles that, that we've kind of built our organization around to sort of look much more like a Google than a classic healthcare organization. And so I think that's been very positive. And then we may, remain very friendly with the larger Google ecosystem. And so I'm over still at Google all the time. And you know, we, we go into their offices and meet with their teams and swap ideas and work together on various health and data projects. But for all intents and purposes, we are an arm's length uh, enterprise at this point. And you're not sharing data. We don't share data, no. We look to use 
uh, various Google tools in novel ways. And so we're, we use like Chromebooks for our frontline staff in some interesting ways. And we've been experimenting with trying to get our members uh, free or reduced cost uh, internet access through some of the Google Fi programming. And we, you know, run our technology on top of the Google Cloud platform and have, you know, occasionally early access to some of those features and, 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 and prototypes. But we're certainly not sharing any, any data or any um, member experiences back the other direction. And you said you maintain some of the culture. I'd be curious if you could dive in a little bit more on one or two of those areas that allow you to do technology more like a technology company than a healthcare company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a spectrum and it's, it's a, this is one of the most fun problems. I think that, that I get to work on at city block and we're never, we're never finished solving that. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of perennial challenge of, of how we work, but um, it is a spectrum. I think that, I think if you talk to any of the healthcare industry folks at city block, they would say that it is like the fastest moving, most innovative, you know, most tech enabled organization they've ever been in. And if you talk to the folks we hire from like a, like a GitHub, right. Or a Facebook, they'd say, Oh my God, does city block, you know, move too slow and, you know, have too much bureaucracy. Right. And so you sort of establish yourself on that on that uh, uh, cultural spectrum and and work to kind of bring the best of both worlds to the table. Some of the things that I think we've done well early on is we've built around a very asynchronous and collaborative culture, right? And so we rely a lot on simple things like the Google Docs and Google Drive suite. Right. And, you know, we've built around this concept of accountable sources of truth and asynchronous uh, communication and written driven thinking and PRDs and process kickoffs. And we run, we run post retros, right? We run, we run these like uh, retrospectives on every project we launch, right? A lot of these, you know, they're, they're simple, they're simple trappings, but they tend to be the cultural trappings of high performing agile technical organizations. And so it's been fun to sort of take them and massage them and think about how to apply them to something like care model design or how doctors and nurses collaborate during the day. So what is the role of the product leader or the product organization in a healthcare company? Yeah. So I think product varies dramatically from organization to organization. And even within the healthcare industry, that's, that's, that's no um, exception, right? And so I'll talk a little bit about some of the generalized principles of, of, of product management. And then I'll talk a little bit about what product means at, at CityBlock. But we're no more a template from the industry than any other company is. It's, it's one of the most dynamic and, and sort of like evolving roles out there. And so um, uh, this won't be gospel. I think in general, what you see as when you look at product organizations is you look at the group that's accountable for sort of sitting at the intersection of what you might consider like business and what you might consider development. Right. And so uh, they sit between the business leaders, in our case, the clinical leaders, right? The folks that are kind of running the day to day operations and trying to balance the PL and deliver your core service lines, and the engineers and the IT staff and the data scientists that are building the core systems that allow that first group to be successful. And so, product is at once a translational role, right? And a brokerage role. And, and you sit at that uh, center of that ecosystem where you have to carry credibility with both groups. Right, and you have to make hard resourcing trade-offs and be prepared to justify those hard resourcing trade-offs. Another thing that's pretty universal in product is that they tend to be the group that tries to translate vision down into reality. Right, and so some some would call that strategy, some would call that laddering, or or um, you know it can be as simple as the OKRs process. But how do you take a multi-year vision, often from the founders, right, or or the board? How do you take a a, a sort of north star of where you want to be, and break that down into discrete achievable piece-by-piece piece hypotheses that will layer you from today to where you need to be years from now. And that's another big role of product. And so I think both of those translate well to CityBlock. Um, our product team 
uh, we combine across product engine, uh, product design, research, and, and, and some product operations. That's about 18 folks. And their responsibility is, like I just described, to sort of sit at the intersection of the clinical, the, the actuary, the market operations, the engineering, and the technologists, right? And sort of decide, okay, any given quarter, any given year, given limited resources and like basically uncapped ambition, how do we prioritize our limited resources, right? What are we gonna, what are we gonna work on? How, how do we make that decision? How do we justify that decision, right? And then how do we make sure that quarter after quarter, year after year, we are bridging ourselves towards that North Star of city blocks that when we wake up three or four years from now, we've gotten the organization to where we wanna be. Now, what is that city block North Star? For us, it's about scale. This goes all the way back to the kind of founding story I told earlier, but like the, the care model city block is delivering is, is novel, but it's not unprecedented. There are a number of very impressive organizations around the country, five, six, seven of them at least, that perform a type of care delivery that if you zoom out, looks a lot like CityBlock, right? And, and, and are very impressive and have wonderful outcomes for their members. The challenge is that all five or six of those organizations together serve like 400,000 people in some, right? And there's 120 million people on Medicaid and Medicare in the country today. And so it's not that there's not a good model out there. It's that there's a model out there that isn't scaling. And so when we started CityBlock, our goal was not to serve 50,000 members, right? You have to start somewhere, certainly. But our goal was to figure out how to take this sort of walnut of an idea, this sort of like little tiny encapsulated engine of an idea of a care model and figure out how to instrument it at much, much broader scale with fidelity and without sacrificing member experience or outcomes. And that challenge, that question of scalability is where the tech team and the product team spends a lot of its time. Today, we serve 60,000 members. And in a couple of years, we want to serve 600,000 members. So what is it going to take to get there? What systems break down? What processes break down? What new tools and decision support, right? And training regimes where you need. And then how can we use technology to instrument that? In a technology startup where the product is software or a website, you know, colloquially speaking, it's pretty clear who product is serving, right? They're That's serving right. the customers. In this case, it's not as clear to me. Are you are you serving and designing the patients and the patient experience? Or are you serving the internal healthcare professionals? Is that your customer's product organization? Or is it even the government in that that's ultimately who's paying for this? Yeah. Great question. You know, the, 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 the short answer, of course, is all of them, right? Now, I'll unpack that a little bit. Um, I think the first thing to note about product in an organization like CityBlock, and this is not unique to CityBlock, this is going to be equivalent to any of the sort of tech-enabled services businesses. So think Compass, think Uber, TaskRabbit, Lyft, right, Blue Apron, there's a bunch of them. What you're going to see is that product is going to be a lot less about just engineering and designers and pixels, right, and software. And it's going to be a lot more about the offering, Right, and the offering at CityBlock is a combination of our care model, right, our training, our roles descriptions, and then yes, the software that enables all of the above. Right, but we want to design them hand in hand. Right, we don't want to we don't want to design care model in this half of our brain and and a technology workflow in this half of our brain. Like they need to be one coherent unit. And so our product teams work very 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 closely with these other functions of service design and clinical and, and research and care delivery in order to make sure that we're delivering a coherent product that spans not just software. Okay, so that's that's like the first difference. And then in terms of who the customers are. We think about a couple of different discrete customer groups. So 
probably the kind of historically most important from a from a product delivery perspective have been our internal staff, right? Uh, four years ago, we were a 15-person company, and today we're a 700-person company. And like that is, dif- that is difficult scale to withstand. And so we have to build good technology to help all these new employees understand what their role is, understand what their responsibilities are, and be set up for success. And so we spend a lot of time building for that customer set, right? The, the social worker, the doctor, the nurse, right? But that's not our only user group, as you've mentioned. We also care a lot about the member, right? And so we have an entire product team also dedicated just wholly to the member experience. And there, we're building more with regards to things like engagement and communications. And what is it like to visit a member for the first time? And how do you introduce yourself to them? And what kind of direct marketing do we run? And when we go into their home and we perform a visit in their kitchen or in their living room, you know, what are the best practices and tools and techniques and, and, and yes, software we're going to use to make that experience successful. And so we've got a team that focuses on members. We've got a bunch of teams that focus on internal staff. And then we even have a team that focus on other doctors. One of the interesting things about being structured like an insurance company is that, you know, we're on the hook for other doctors' activities, right? If, if you go see a, if one of our members goes and sees a, a pulmonologist and, and has uh, unnecessary or expensive procedures done, CityBlock's paying for that at some level, right? And so we also build technology for the end user of non-employed third-party clinicians that just exist in the neighborhoods and in the, in the communities that we serve. And we try to pull them into our fold and, and influence their behavior as well. So we have a lot of different stakeholder groups and you know, we, try to, we try to keep all those plates spinning at once without losing too much focus. As you've transitioned from this background of more technology, venture capital, Silicon Valley mindset into healthcare, what advice would you have? What learnings have you taken away from that? Oh yeah, such a fun question. I think I think they're pretty universal learnings, right? But they but they uh, you'll certainly you'll never be successful in an environment like this unless you unless you apply them. And and it starts with like a degree of listening and humility, right? You know, like coming from a technology background and working with uh, folks from more traditional healthcare backgrounds, like you might have a lot of advantages, right? When it comes to thinking through building systems and building like modular workflows and, and making vendor selections, right? And, and, and sort of these common trappings of the technology industry, right? And, and it's easy to sort of get caught up in that headspace and recognize all the advantages that you bring to the table of this partnership. And it's just like, I mean, it's so trite, but it's so important to remind yourself that like you're just half of the partnership and like you wouldn't be here, right? If it wasn't for these individuals that bring their own you know, extremely long and varied careers, right? With their own creativity and strategy and kind of learned experience. And I think the thing is that, you know, if, if you slow down, if you listen, if you lead with humility, right? If you, if, you, if you focus on building coalitions, right? What you'll learn is that these, these industries are just so fractally complex in a way that you just could never appreciate from the outside. And there, there is a value in bringing fresh eyes to things. Like there's a reason that often, you know, you get these like young hotshot Silicon Valley companies that drop into an industry and without any background have a certain degree of success because yeah, there's, there's often value in like overly reductive, fresh-eyed thinking, right? But there's also so much value in that depth of experience and particularly when dealing with complex underserved communities and underserved populations, it, it's, it's just impossible to overstate the knowledge and experience gap um, uh, that our technologists often uh, bring to the table. And so I think I've learned a lot about uh, trauma-informed design, 
right, about community-led thinking, about uh, uh, putting our users at the center of our design process um, and, and, and letting them have a very strong voice in what we do. And, and all of those are, again, they're not maybe too specific to CityBlock, but boy, boy, I've had to learn them here. And, and I think that they're just, um, they're approaches to building and approaches to leadership that I certainly hope to carry with me into the future of my career. And I think anybody would benefit from. And it's one of the reasons I've, I've, I've enjoyed working in, in, in uh, such a dynamic environment, right? Because I've just been challenged to go so far outside my comfort zone, which was previously engineers and designers. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm curious more broadly, what have been the biggest challenges growing this company? Oh man, so many, as I'm sure you've heard in, in every podcast you've run. I think I knew getting into this that it was going to be very fun and very hard. And I think I dramatically underestimated how fun and also how hard it would be. So there's, there's a positive and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a flip side to that. In terms of what has been most difficult, I think, I think it all comes down to people. There's just the, the technical problems will take care of themselves. The care model problems will take care of themselves. The financing will take care of themselves. Like everything sort of falls into place if you can get the humans right and the culture right. And no matter how intentional you are about that, no matter how strong you're recruiting, no matter how strong your network, I just don't think you can grow at, at the kind of pace we've seen and not make a ton of mistakes. And certainly we have, right? If that's, if that's any anecdote. And so the hardest thing has been getting the right people that have the skill sets we need, the cultural alignment we're looking for, and the sort of like headspace that matches where we are at this point in time into the right seats, and then build a culture and operating system around them where everybody's excited, is engaged, understands their place in the world, understands what we're doing and why it's hard, and kind of walks that happy line between both being very, very aware of the challenges ahead of us and just how impossible a startup can be and all the problems that lie ahead of us to fix without ever losing that sort of optimism of, yes, we can fix this. And I think that that dynamic of having leaders who really don't compromise on fixing problems, but also never lose their optimism and, and confidence in the future and curating a kind of culture around them that reinforces that mindset. It's just endlessly, endlessly hard and endlessly important and, and has been one of the most rewarding, but also just one of the most difficult and, and thought-provoking activities we've had to go through as we built this company. I think that's really right about the long-term optimism, but also the fortitude to work on the actual practical issues of today. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, finding that balance and, and, and making sure that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a 23-year-old uh, a new ops associate, you know, working in Connecticut to, to, to kind of streamline our, our nurses SOPs, or if you're, you know, our new hotshot, you know, chief technology officer with, you know, 30 years of experience, you know, uh, but new to healthcare, like everybody sort of has to understand their place in the world and how it ladders up into the bigger picture and to feel engaged, right. And accountable. And like, they control their own destiny and they are a meaningful piece of the city block journey. Uh, and that we can't succeed without them. And although that is true, and it's always true, it's such a hard, it's such a hard ecosystem to maintain, right? Because everything's shifting. I remember at one point we we did the math, and it was like if you basically looked at every human and who their collaborators were at CityBlock, that like sixty percent of all relationships at CityBlock were less than four months old, right? It's like that is such an interesting environment to be building trust and collaboration within, right? Uh, and that, that I think, you know, I'm really proud of what we've achieved and, uh, achieved and also it just has been and remains uh, the most interesting and tough problem I think we've had to face. When you're hiring as many people as you've been doing, yeah, everyone's tenure is really short. No one's been there very long. Right, 
Right. You know, we, we always joke uh, whenever we bring on a new cohort, we'll often like point to the folks that are six months older than them and say, look, you know, you guys are the OGs now, like whether, whether it feels like that or not, like you now have more experience, more context, more credibility, right? More relationship capital than 60% of the company as new as you feel. Right. And so you have to kind of, you have to shift away from that fear right of being the new person and of you know stepping on toes or of like of like not knowing some secret that everybody else knows and you have to adopt that mentality of empowerment of being like this is a this is an ecosystem that cannot succeed without me and i am you know here correctly and the company depends on me and i have more context than anybody and so i'm going to step up and solve this problem and i think that's you know that's why people love startups is because if you can get in that mentality and if you can really embrace that accountability and that ownership um, it can be such a fun and rewarding a uh, couple of years of your career but it is you're constantly having to play these mind games with yourself and remind yourself of what is reality versus you know where, where are you just kind of uh, having a knee-jerk reaction to everything feeling new or all the relationships being fresh and you're continuing to hire. What kind of positions? Yeah, so um, we are hiring a bunch. We'll probably be uh, 300 more people by the end of the year. And so I'll kind of describe three different categories of, of folks we hire. So the first and most important category is our frontline staff, right? We hire doctors, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, and we hire them both virtually. So we have a lot of folks that work remotely and, and serve uh, primarily via telemedicine, but we also hire folks in the communities we serve. And that's where the majority of our hiring exists. And so that's Crown Heights, East New York, Waterbury, Connecticut, Southern Massachusetts. Uh, we're entering North Carolina with about 200 people this summer in Charlottesville and, uh, sorry, Charlotte and, uh, and Fayetteville. And so there's lots and lots of care delivery hiring happening across the board there. Then you've sort of got your corporate team, which I would break down into sort of classic corporate GNA growth operations and then kind of technical R&D. And so on the classic growth, uh, sorry, classic GNA and, uh, and, and, and strategy side, we're hiring operators, we're hiring business development associates, we're hiring finance associates and, 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 and leaders across each of those de departments, we're hiring for brand, we're hiring for marketing. And, and those are, I would say, relatively classic startup roles, right? We're looking for folks that come from high growth startups and are interested in doing this, you know, that kind of work at CityBlock, right? Whether it's in brand or marketing or business development or operations or finance. And then on the technical side, uh, we have a lot of exciting growth this year. So last year, we only grew the team from about 40 to 45 for a bunch of reasons from a capital perspective and COVID and the realities of where the company was navigating. But today we're doubling the team, right? So we'll, we're going to double that technology team from about 45 to about 90 this year. And so we're hiring across the board for product engineering, data science, uh, IT, design, and at most levels, you know, from, from kind of like entry level up through vice president. And so um, it's, a, it's a fun time. And I think we, we're proud probably getting to the scale of company where we never will stop hiring. And that's, that's both intimidating and also kind of a fun, uh, fun realization. Wow. That is, that is real scale that you're seeking there. Exciting to hear about it. Exciting to have you on the show. Where can people follow up with you or the company online? CityBlock Health, our, um, our website is cityblock.com. And we've got two blogs that we keep, you know, reasonably up to date, a couple, a couple posts a quarter. One is focused on the company and the care model uh, and um, a lot on kind of like our mission, right? We, we post a lot about what it means to be working on healthcare justice in 2021 and, and, and some of the progressive values that we're trying to bring to both our members and our community. Um, and then we also have a blog focused on technology. And we write a lot about what it means to develop technology within this environment, right? What is it like to develop tooling for uh, a very different class of users? Or what is it 
like to develop workflows and decision support that are trauma informed, right? And 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 we watch out for the very you know vulnerable realities of the member base we serve. And so both of those are fun blogs you can follow along and find at cityblock.com. Uh, and then probably the best way to, to follow along with me is, is just on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Baygross, B-A-Y-G-R-O-S-S. Um, and uh, yeah, tend to, tend to be somewhat active there. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this was fun, Miles. I appreciate you having me and um, uh, looking forward to following along with the, uh, with the podcast over the coming months. Wonderful. If you liked what you heard today on the podcast, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. And please give us a rating and review. The reviews help others find us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me on LinkedIn. Be sure to visit our website, startupsforgood.com. That's startupsforgood, all run together, no spaces, .com. If you were inspired today and want to join our online community or our giving circle, please do so on our website. 